Thank you, church. Really good to be with you. Great to be with those of you in the room. Great to be with those of you watching at home as well. Well, today we are concluding our series, The King and His Kingdom. Some of you perhaps thought we'd finished that already. We've been in this series from last October, um, and we've really been right through Jesus' earthly life. We've been through his birth, his baptism, his ministry, his death and resurrection. But of course, that's not the end of the story. There is more. Luke wrote another book in the Bible, the book of Acts. And we're not going to go right through the book of Acts like we have with Luke's gospel, but we did want to end this series by looking at the first few verses of the book of Acts and to see what it teaches us about the king and his kingdom. And I think it's important that we don't see this as bonus material. This is not the extra bits. There are core truths in here about this story. The point is, the story of the king and his kingdom is not a history story. This is a story that is still unfolding today through the lives of Jesus' followers all over the world. You're part of this story. I'm part of this story. And it's a story that reaches way into the future, beyond our earthly lives, on and on into eternity. It's a story with no beginning and no end. So I want us to do two things this morning as we conclude this series. And the two things that might at first seem to contradict each other. I want us to lift our eyes to see the glory and the majesty of King Jesus, to gaze on him, to contemplate him, to consider things that are perhaps beyond our understanding, but then also to lower our eyes to things that are small and more ordinary and everyday, to focus our minds and our hearts on the part of the story that he has called us into. Open it together now. We're going to read from Acts 1, verses 1 to 11. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. The words will be there on the screen behind me. It says this, Acts 1, verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Notice there Luke describes his gospel account as being about what Jesus began to do and to teach. In other words, Jesus is setting up the book of Acts. A continuation of the work of King Jesus. He goes on. After his suffering, so after Jesus' suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who's been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. 
Let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you that you're with us right now. We thank you for this wonderful passage of scripture. And I pray that just in our short time together today, you would reveal more of the truth of who you are through this passage. I pray that we'd just be able to see you more clearly. Holy Spirit, would you bring Jesus alive to us, that we might reflect and see him, and that we might understand the part that you've called us to in this story. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, is it just me, or do we rarely talk about Jesus' ascension? I think we talk a lot about the cross and the resurrection, but this moment where Jesus goes up to be with his Father in heaven, well, we don't seem to mention that quite as much. The ascension is a key part of the kingdom story. So over 40 days, the resurrected Jesus has appeared to his followers. Luke says he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. So Jesus wants them to know that it's really him, that his resurrection is real and that it's physical, that he's come through death and now he's alive again. So Jesus eats with his disciples. He teaches them. He speaks with them about the kingdom. And then the moment comes where he's going to go to his father and his disciples will no longer see him. Verse 9 says, He was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. And you have to admit, it's quite a strange moment, isn't it? It's one of those bits of the Bible where if you read that with a friend who's not a Christian, they say to you, really? You really believe that, that Jesus defied gravity, that he lifted off the ground and went up into the sky. And people have tried to illustrate this scene in paintings. They tend to look a little bit like this, where Jesus is kind of floating above the disciples' heads like it's some kind of party trick. But of course, you can't do this scene justice in words or in a painting, because this is not just Jesus simply lifting up from the ground and going further and further away into space. Now, this is the king of glory stepping out of the realm of our reality and into the supernatural realm of God. And that's not an easy one to paint. And until the moment that Jesus goes, you get the sense the disciples still didn't understand the scale of what Jesus was teaching them. They're still thinking in very earthly terms. They say to him, Lord, is this the time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They're still thinking national. They're still thinking small. But Jesus is a far greater king than they understand, and his is a greater kingdom than they can comprehend. See, the ascension is about Jesus being enthroned as the king of kings with authority over all things. Hebrews 1 verse 3 says, After he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And that is where Jesus is right now, having completed with perfection the work that he came to complete, having lived the perfect life that we cannot live and and dying so that we could be forgiven, he now sits on the throne and he's reigning and he's sovereign and he's glorious. And we might think, well, why did Jesus have to go? Wouldn't it have made life a whole lot easier if Jesus had stayed, if if he could be here with us right now, if like those disciples we could see him and eat with him and do life with him. But Jesus said himself that his physical absence is better for us. In John 16 verse 7 he says, Very truly I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. Because unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. 
But if I go, I will send him to you. As Jesus goes to be with his Father in heaven, he sends the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk more about him in a moment. But you see, right now, Jesus is active in heaven for us. The Bible says that our enemy, the devil, accuses us day and night, discrediting us before God. But Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. He's seated, but he is active. It's wonderful news. And there's more. I want to pick up on two promises from this passage in the book of Acts. I believe the Father wants us to have total confidence in as we live our lives. And the first is this, that King Jesus is coming back. That the King is coming back. So as Jesus ascends to heaven, two angels come alongside the disciples and say to him, this same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go. And that's the hope we have, isn't it? That the world isn't spinning out of control like it sometimes seems. But that actually it's moving towards the day when King Jesus will come again. And we don't know when that will be. It's not for us to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But what will it be like? Well, it will be glorious. I wonder, do we have a big enough picture of King Jesus? See, when Jesus comes again, he won't come as a tiny baby, small and vulnerable and easy to ignore. And when he comes again, he won't just come to a small group of people in a distant land. Now, this will be something that the whole world sees and knows. It will be unmistakable. And when Jesus returns, things that were just a shadow before will be unveiled in all their glory. I'm going to read to you a passage from Revelation 19. This is a prophetic vision that the Apostle John was given of Jesus. It says this in Revelation 19, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Can we pause for a moment? I wonder, do we think enough about that Jesus? That picture of King Jesus. See, we talk about Jesus being loving and kind and humble and gentle, the Lamb of God. And he's all these things. But he's also the Lion of Judah. Do you know, the darkness of this world has nothing on the light and the goodness and the power of King Jesus. And you know, if you ever find yourself scared of things in this world, get a big picture in your mind of King Jesus. He's far bigger. He's far more terrifying. It says here, he treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. I bet not many of you have got that bit of scripture on your wall. 
So just as he stepped out of our physical world, one day he will tear open the reality of the world that we know and he will step back in. That is the return of the king. And when he comes again, it will be a day of judgment. And in that day, the offer of salvation that's available now will no longer be available. That invitation that we have now to have all our sins forgiven, to repent and to experience his grace and find eternal life in him, that door will be shut in that day. Why? Because he's a holy God. And it's not that his love will end. It's that his love and his perfect justice always go hand in hand. Our sin is deserving of judgment from a holy, perfect God. Either Jesus takes the judgment and the punishment, or we do. So do you know him? Have you accepted his death on your behalf? Is he your king? The invitation is there to come and know him today. He loves you and he is for you. But you know, if you're a Christian, you can look forward to the day when Jesus returns. I want you to imagine for a moment our world without all the bad bits. And I don't just mean things you don't like, like wasps and celery and WhatsApp. Maybe that's just me. But a world without darkness, a world without war, a world without sin and without bitterness and without heartache and pain and cancer. See, this is the promise that the King of glory will return and will renew all things and that those who accept his invitation for forgiveness and acknowledge him as King now will experience blessing and life in all its fullness. The King is coming back. And church, we need to find ways to remind ourselves of this daily. I don't know about you, but my default is not to worship. I don't wake up singing songs of praise. I can easily go into a day or into a week and forget about Jesus. We have to find ways to remember. We have to find ways to remember who Jesus is and to remember that he's coming back. Because this is not the narrative the world tells us. And so we have to be deliberate in this. We have to set our hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. We have to set our minds on things above and not on earthly things. This is an active thing. I wonder what might that look like for you to deliberately remind yourself that Jesus is king day after day and to remind yourself that he's coming back. A friend of mine who isn't a Christian used to wear a t-shirt which said, Jesus is coming, look busy. Listen, it's not that. It's not busying ourselves in case Jesus comes back today and finds us resting. No, it's being able to genuinely rest knowing that Jesus is king and we're not knowing that he is in control and we're not. That might mean choosing to worship even when we don't feel like it. It might mean committing to come here every Sunday and hear the truth. Maybe you've got out of the habit of that over the last couple of years. We need this to come back and remind ourselves that Jesus is king and that he's coming back. If you've not been part of a small group before, get into one this term. We need this community of truth. As Adam said, we're starting a new series in a couple of weeks called Sit at His Feet. And this is all about intimacy with Jesus. We believe God is calling us to this and inviting us into this all the more right now. And this is not about doing more. Actually, it's about doing the one thing well, about worshipping Jesus well, putting Jesus at the centre. I need this. Perhaps you do too. The promise is that Jesus is coming back. This is good news, church. And you know, while we wait, there's another promise here too, and it's this. 
You will receive power. You will receive power. See, the disciples watch Jesus ascend. And two angels stand beside them and say, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking at the sky? I mean, you would, wouldn't you? If you saw that happen, you'd spend some time staring up at the sky. But the point is that what happens next in the story takes place not up there, but down here. See, if the ascension is the enthronement of Jesus, then it's also the start of mission for us, for the church. Jesus receives all authority from the Father and then sends us out to declare that authority to the world. John Stott puts it like this. Their calling, so the disciples' calling, was to be witnesses and not stargazers. The vision they were to cultivate was not upwards in nostalgia to the heaven which had received Jesus, but outwards in compassion to a lost world which needed him. And it's the same for us. We're to be witnesses. What does it mean to be a witness? Well, you're called to be a witness if you've seen or experienced something for yourself and you can give a first-hand account. As followers of Jesus, we're called to be witnesses that when we know Jesus as king, when we've seen who he is, when we've experienced and tasted something of the goodness of his kingdom, then our focus shouldn't be just up there, but out there to the people that God has placed in our lives, to the ordinary, everyday opportunities we have to love and to serve people and to witness to them. So how do we do this well? I love the story of Eli Stanley Jones. He was an American Christian missionary with a ministry across India. But he tells the story of a humiliating experience he had early in his ministry when he got up to preach for the first time. His friends and his family members had come to hear him speak, but just a few sentences in, he made a mistake, and it made a young woman in the congregation laugh, and his mind went completely blank. And after a long silence, he said, friends, I'm sorry to tell you, I've forgotten my sermon. So humiliated, he went back, went to began to walk back to his seat when he heard God say to him, haven't I done anything for you? And he said, yes, of course, Lord. And the Lord said to him, well, then couldn't you tell that. And instead of sitting down, he simply told of what Jesus had done in his life. And after the service, someone came up to him and said, I want to find what you have found. That is being a witness. Let's not complicate things. Has he done anything for us? Has the Lord done anything for you? Then couldn't we tell that? And you know, the promise of the Father is that we don't do this in our own strength. If you read on through the pages of the book of Acts, we see the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. And what was just 120 disciples in a room multiplied and multiplied and multiplied to be what the church is today. What was the secret of that? Was it a great evangelistic strategy? Was it that the disciples had clever persuasive words? No, it was the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus promised, you will receive power. And he commands them, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. Wait for the gift my Father has promised. Or the ESV says, the promise of the Father. Do you know, it's estimated there are around 7,000 promises in the Bible, but this is the promise of the Father. Isn't that amazing? 
For those disciples who'd seen the resurrected Jesus, even that, even seeing him in the flesh wasn't enough. Jesus says, no, wait, there's more to receive. The presence of God poured out onto the church for mission. Baptism in the Holy Spirit. That is the difference. See, the Spirit changes us. And this isn't just a luxury for some believers. It's a necessity. We need him. We need the Holy Spirit. So have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? And do you go on asking him to fill you with his spirit day after day? That is the secret of the growth of the church. And it's the story of our church too. I love reading the story of the early days of our church. If you've never read this, we have some of these around the building, I think. I really recommend it. This was written about 20 years ago. So it doesn't capture everything that's happened in the last 20 years. But it does show the role the Holy Spirit played in the growth of the church. I'm going to read you just a couple of bits from it. Frank, who led the church in the early days, describes it like this. I was at home, locking up, ready to go to bed, when the phone rang. I was amazed and startled to hear Jeff say, Frank, I've been filled with the Holy Spirit. And my immediate reaction was tinged with anger and resentment that Jeff allowed such a thing to happen. He was from Brethren Stock and should know better. Now, gradually, what happened is other members of the church began to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, but not Frank. And he became frustrated, crying out to God. And then he says this, One evening, five minutes before time to leave work, God put within me a driving impulse to go back to my secluded office and kneel down by my desk. No sooner was I on my knees than God filled me. Boy, oh boy, what a relief. I was still Frank. But Jesus was so wonderful, precious, and glorious. I forgot about the Spirit and worshipped Jesus. And you know, if you ask people who are around in those early days of our church family, what they tell you is that the result of being filled with the Holy Spirit was love. A deep love for Jesus and a deep love for people. And the church, our church, grew through the power of the Spirit. And so we come to today to now, to you and to me. Have you received the promise of the Father? Have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? And do you come to him each day asking him to fill you again? The promise is this, you will receive power. And so we're going to do two things in response to all this in just a moment. We're going to break bread together to proclaim the death of Jesus until he returns. And we're going to ask God to fill us with his Spirit. So as I end, and as we end this series, church, we're part of a wonderful story. And we have a wonderful story to tell, the story of the king and his kingdom. Jesus has done it all. He lived a perfect life we cannot live. He died for us. He defeated death. He's seated on the throne with all authority and power. And now that power and authority is given to the church. And each day with our lives and our words, we get to tell the true story of the king and his kingdom and see that kingdom extend. Each time we pray for someone and see someone healed, the kingdom of God extends. Each time we see God's peace and justice break in, the kingdom extends. Each time someone says yes to Jesus and bows the knees to him and accepts him as king, the kingdom of God extends. And one day, Jesus will come back. 
And when he does, those who know him have put their trust in him will have a party with the king that will go on for day after day after day for eternity. That's good news, isn't it? Amen. I'm going to hand back to Richard and Shay. Thanks.